Okay, ladies and gentlemen, I think we should start. Uh, my colleague Sarah Worthington is in Melbourne giving a series of special lectures, and uh, the privilege falls upon me to introduce our speaker in this series, Thinking Like a Social Scientist. Judith Levy is from the Economics Department, and uh, she's doing some overtime giving this uh, talk, given that she has a European Research Council five-year grant which uh, rids her of teaching and points her towards a solely research uh, trajectory. Uh, it's a very prestigious award. I think they had something like, in the first round, 9,000 applications and they made about uh, 250 uh, offers, something of that order. So very distinguished. So we're delighted to welcome you. Thank you for coming. And we look forward to an economist. Thank you, thank you, thank you uh, very much for, uh, for coming. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you about um, some of the research that I've been doing. And hopefully it will allow you to, uh, to see. Hopefully I will be able to illustrate how, how we do things in economics. Okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to... We're a bit biased in economics, <laughs> sometimes to the right. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask a particular research question. And again, this research question could have, is not necessarily a question that economists would ask, okay? This is a question that other disciplines within social science and perhaps outside social science could, could uh, ask the same question as well. But what will differentiate us as economists is the particular tools that I'm going to use in order to um, answer this question. Okay? So before speaking about the tools, let me introduce the question. So the title of this research agenda is Diversity and Redistribution. And more specifically, what I want to ask is if in diverse societies we're going to see more or less public goods. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, we all know it. An obvious observation is that people in society differ on many dimensions. So they differ in their income. We differ in our age, um, ethnicity, religion. Uh, geographical location may also create difference, uh, differences between people. Okay? So this is an obvious observation. Now, what is the effect of this diversity? Okay? Multidimensional diversity, right? Because we differ on many, on many uh, issues and on many traits, what is the effect of this diversity in society on redistribution policies, okay? That is, is the government going to provide more or less public goods when we live in a divided society, in a sense, okay? What type of goods can we talk about? Well, we can talk about infrastructure, um, we can talk about education, we can talk about health, we can talk about security, and so on, okay? So are we going to have more or less provision of public goods when, or, or government redistribution more generally, when we live in a divided society, okay? Now, you know, biologists could look at this type of question and think, well, when societies are divided, maybe each group is fighting for resources, okay? And this could lead to conflicts which are either unsolvable or the fittest group is going to win, okay? Sociologists may look at this question and may say, well, you know, if these groups perhaps hate each other so much, again, they're not going to allow 
each other to get some resources. Okay? So what I'm going to do is try and answer this question from the point of view of, of economists. Okay? Now, how can we think about it? We already know, um, again, either from observation or from the economics literature, that, for example, diversity in income is going to result in pressures for income redistribution. Okay? Or redistribution by goods that everyone likes. Okay? It's either getting a lump sum um, the redistribution or getting hospitals for everyone and schools for everyone and so on. Okay? So in, typically when we have income inequality, diversity in income, we're going to have some pressures from income redistribution from the rich to the poor. Okay? If we have ethnic or religious diversity, again, an observation could lead us to the conclusion that we're going to have some pressures from these different types of groups in society to create some transfers for them in the, uh, in the type of goods that they like. Okay? So for example, they may want some particular faith schools or some language programs. Okay? So if you have different groups in society, each of them may want to have its own good in a sense. Okay? So it's not going to do any good for you, for your children, if you educate them in another language. You want your own particular language to be taught at, at, the, at the government school. Okay? So if we have this diversity, we may have pressures for particular types of goods. Okay? Now the challenge, in, in a sense, is to think, well, societies are diverse, as I said in the beginning, both in income and in other dimensions, such as ethnicity or religiosity. And how do these two types of pressures interact with one another, right? We have a pressure for redistribution from the rich to the poor, but we may have a pressure for redistribution from the dominant ethnic group to the minority ethnic group. How do these things interact together, okay? How does diversity in ethnicity or in religion, um, how does it affect the conflict between the rich and the poor, or the other way around, okay? So, let me be a bit more specific in the questions. If it is the case that the poor individuals, let's say, do not agree between them on how to spend tax revenues, okay, how to spend and divide these resources, is it going to help them or is it going to, um, is it going to damage their ability to press for redistribution at all, for transfers from the rich towards them? Okay? Or how does income inequality affect the ability of special interest groups to receive transfers and attract resources. Okay, so these are the more specific questions uh, that I want to ask. And in a sense, you can think of the following answers. You can think that conflicting preferences over resources, um, uh, over resources create cleavages among the poor and work against their general interest of redistribution. So if societies are diverse, we're going to see less public goods provided. Okay, perhaps you want to think about, let's say, African societies are known to be very diverse, and indeed in these cases, we don't see a lot of public goods provision. On the other hand, Scandinavian countries are relatively homogeneous, and we see a lot of public goods provision. So that could be one particular answer. Another answer could be the opposite one. Perhaps if we have too many special interest pressures, okay, um, the rich may say, the rich may want to ally themselves with simply the general interest of the poor, that is, just have general goods that everyone likes, such as income redistribution, if this is going to lower taxation, okay? If there are too many pressures, perhaps, you know, we give up on trying to satisfy each group and we focus on income redistribution, for example. So this could be two typical answers. So what do we do in, 
in economic analysis, okay, so one methodology that we use is to try and think about this problem in a, in a model, okay, so what is a model? Well, it's a very simplified version of reality, okay, in my model I would like to have as few details as possible, I don't want to write down reality in a sense because it's going to be very hard to, to either solve a model or to think in a model with many parameters, okay? So I want to create a very simple model and see what are the predictions of the model, okay? For example, what is a stable uh, equilibrium, a stable situation in society? What does this predict in terms of the question that I'm asking, okay? The second step is to take the model's prediction to the data, okay? So if, for example, the model predicts that there's going to be less provision of hospitals but more provision of um, security, okay, then I want to see if this is indeed the case. So I want to take the model to the data and look at preferably a particular country or perhaps across different countries, okay? Once I see, hopefully, that the model's results are consistent with data, Okay, not necessarily all the possible data in the world. Again, an example. What I would want to do further on is to see whether my explanation, let's say this model, okay, is going to work better than other explanations, right? I can test one particular model, but perhaps other explanations are better, okay? So I'm going to take it through this particular methodology, which is commonly used in economics. So here is a model that I'm thinking about. Let's think, you know, so again, I'm just going to simplify reality in a sense. And I want to think about a diverse society. So I'm thinking about society with three groups, this, the smallest number of groups I can think about to create diversity on more than one dimension. And my three groups are going to be the poor group, the rich group, and a third group which I call the special interest poor. Okay, so you can think of them as the poor you know, it's a section of the pool, but that has particular interests, such as maybe the uh, minority ethnic group in the population. Okay. okay, so the poor, as usual, we assume that the poor are a majority in the population, so the rich are a minority. Okay. They're all the poor together, the special interest and the general interest. And then society needs to decide on the following things, right? We're interested in what is essentially the size of the government, okay, how big is the government, and how the resources are transferred towards one particular group or the other, okay? So people need to decide, the government in a sense needs to decide about the rate of tax, and they need to decide how to spend it, okay? So you can give something that everybody likes, for example, you can give back income to the people, or you can find the specific, you can fund the specific good that only this special interest likes, okay? So this could be, for example, a religious, educa religious education in general or a particular type of religious education or teaching the language that of this ethnic minority in school, okay? So we can spend resources on general goods, things that everyone enjoys in the same way, let's say, or we can spend income on uh, things that um, only part of the population enjoys, the other, the rest of the population is not gaining any utility from this, uh, from this group. Sometimes it could even be a negative utility, okay? So this is, this is my environment, this, these are my citizens, and this is what the government needs to decide, okay? So 
My next step is to think, well, what do actually these groups want? Well, if you're the general pool, what you want is to take as much as possible from the rich, okay? Of course, taking into consideration perhaps the, the cost of taxation, okay? Perhaps it could, be, it could be costly to collect taxes and so on. Perhaps it damages labor incentives. Take this into account. In a sense, you want the maximum taxation possible, get as much as you want from the rich, and get it, get it redistributed back via what, what you like, okay? Which I'm assuming is income redistribution, okay? What do the special interest pool want? They also want to get as much as possible from the rich, but then, you know, they want some income redistribution, but they may also want some of their own particular good, okay? So the special interest poor are divided from the poor on how to spend tax resources, okay? Finally, the rich are divided from the rest of the population by uh, wanting no redistribution at all, okay? So they prefer, you know, they have, they're the ones that finance all this in a sense because their income is higher. So for any tax rate, they will pay more taxes. They would prefer no redistribution at all. So the rich are divided from the poor and the poor are divided among themselves. So in that sense, we have society divided on more than one issue. Okay? We have both an income conflict and a conflict on how to spend resources. Okay? Now let's get a bit into, a bit into politics. Okay? So again, traditional perhaps economic analysis did not acknowledge that um, political processes are also important. Okay? And we cannot think of outcomes in society without getting into um, specifying the political process that exists in this society and that allows us to uh, achieve particular um, collective decisions and particular economic and political outcomes, okay? So let's say that if I don't think about too sophisticated political institutions, then perhaps I would think that you know, if I, if I just let people vote on um, which policy would they prefer among these three, okay, let's say three policies being either maximum taxation and income redistribution or maximum taxation and a split or no taxation at all, okay, in that case you can see that the general poor, okay, the poor from the dominant uh, majority, okay, they have some um, advantage in society in the following sense. Well, the rich prefer them to the special interest pool, okay? Because both poor groups offer or want to execute the policy of maximum taxation, um, but the special interest group also wants to spend it on stuff which the rich are not interested in, okay? So they would prefer the general pool policy to the special interest group poor group policy. The special interest poor group also prefer the poor group to the rich, okay? Sorry, you don't see that on the slide for some reason, but, okay, so the special interest poor also prefer the poor to the rich, and why is that? Well, at least if they get the policy of the general poor, then they get something back. They get something from the rich, they get some income redistribution. They don't get their own good, but they get something, okay? So, the special interest pool prefer the poor to the rich. The rich prefer the poor to the special interest group, okay? So if you just 
if you just let these people vote, then it's going to be the case that the poor will win a majority, the general poor will win a majority of the vote. Okay? There is sort of an agreed compromise in some sense. Nobody can win against them. Okay? So if these poor run for election, the general poor run for election, nobody can win against them because every other policy that you try to offer, you'll get the majority voting for the poor. Okay? So that's the basic. There seems to be a sort of a default policy that a majority in the population agrees with. Right? So all the poor prefer the poor's policy to the rich, and the rich and the general poor prefer the poor policy to the special interest. Okay? So this is if you don't think too much about political institution, it seems that the general poor should win. Okay? Now this is a puzzle in many, you look at many democracies, and the poor are always a majority. Okay? They're always more poor than rich. Okay? But it's still not the case. You know, you look at Western democracies, it's still not the case that the poor really expropriate the rich in the sense that we have high tax level as the poor would have wanted. Okay? And this has been typically a puzzle. Why isn't it the case that the poor expropriate the rich? Okay? So there are several answers to this puzzle. And in our context, I want to think about the role of coalitional parties as playing an important role. Okay? So again, I want to take the political process more seriously. People are not just voting for policies. There are some political institutions that play behind the scene and allow us to reach some compromises um, that perhaps we didn't think about before. Okay? So parties, and in particular Western European parties, so I don't think it applies in the same way to the US. Um, parties are composed, when you think about parties, they're actually composed of different factions. And what they do is they enforce some internal compromise between different groups. Okay? In a sense, parties, when they take different groups together, okay? when they take different groups together, typically it's a first stage of compromise okay? between different factions in society. The party manifesto represents some compromise between different factions, different groups in the party. And then you take this compromise, you take this manifesto, and perhaps you bargain more with other parties in parliament to get the particular policies implemented. So the first stage of compromise is among different groups in society. Perhaps at the later stage, different parties reach an additional compromise between their own manifesto policies. Okay? So what I want to argue is that parties help, in a sense, um, politicians to be able to offer policies which represent agreements or compromises between them. Okay? So the idea behind this is that perhaps as a politician you cannot really, if you are by yourself in a sense, if you're not part of the party uh, organization, you can't really credibly commit to the public by offering different types of policies. The public knows what you like, knows what you really care about, and they will believe you only if you, know, you say that uh, this is the policy that you're going to implement. But if you go, if you combine with other, in, with other people in a party, then you may be able to offer compromises between 
the politicians, okay? Compromises between the politicians, um, agreements between the politicians, efficient agreements between the politicians that the party will, the public, sorry, will believe that indeed you're going to implement um, this agreement. So party discipline is a way to make sure that the two sides of the agreement, let's say the two factions in the party, um, indeed fulfill their part of the agreement, okay? So that's how I want to think about parties. So how do I bring these parties now um, to my little model with the three groups of voters, the tax rate that you need to choose, and the resources that you want to spend? Well, I'm going to think about uh, this environment. I'm going to think about this political environment. I'm going to think about uh, different people from different groups, perhaps going together in one party and creating some compromises uh, that they would be happy with, okay? And politics, I'm going to say that the, the political environment is going to be stable if each party is going to offer the best policy that it can, given what the other parties are offering. If parties are stable in the sense that no groups want to leave their party and run independently, okay? In that case, the model can tell me, first, what is the stable configuration of parties, okay? Who goes with who, okay? But more interesting for me, from the point of view as an economist, is what is the policies that at the end win the election, okay? So when I didn't talk about parties, the policy that in a sense would win the election is this default policy of the general poor, taxation, full taxation and everything goes to the general uh, good. But when I talk about parties, perhaps these things are going to change. Perhaps these some coalitions can form and tilt the outcome away from my previous prediction, okay? So in particular, in this little model that I've described, one party, one stable party that can form is the coalition of the minorities in a sense. It's the coalition of the rich and the special interest poor that could create a stable party. And why is that? Well, they can find, they're able to find a compromise policy that both groups are going to prefer compared with the policy advocated by the poor of maximum taxation and no special good, okay? They can be together in a party. They can offer a compromise policy, which is not each of them's ideal policy, okay? It's not the ideal policy of the rich or the ideal policy of the special interest poor, but it's something in between that both of them will prefer to their third competitor, the general poor, okay? And why is that the case? So what is this particular policy that this coalition can, um, can offer, okay? It can reduce the tax rate. Remember, the tax is at maximum if the poor, the general poor, get what they want. So they can reduce the tax rate, and that makes the rich happy. But they can channel some of the tax revenues to the special good that the special interest poor want to have, okay? And that would make the special interest poor happy, okay? Compared with the policy of the general poor that gives them nothing from their own good. Now, if the tax rate is indeed going to be low enough, okay, then we could be in a situation if they offer a tax rate which is low enough, then indeed the rich are going to be happier. Okay, it's going to be better for both compared with the policy of maximum taxation and no special good provision. Okay? 
So this could explain to us why the poor do not expropriate the rich. The reason that the general poor do not manage to do it in the model is that the poor are divided. The rich see an opportunity to collude with the special interest poor to give them some of what they want and by doing so reduce the tax level and be better off. Okay? Other coalitions cannot be sustained here. Okay? If, for example, the special interest poor go together with the poor, okay, this is not going to be stable according to my definition because the general poor would prefer to get out of this coalition and win by itself. They can win by themselves. Okay? This is our default policy. They don't need a coalition in a sense to win. So this is the only type of stable coalition that um, we can achieve. And this perhaps helps us to think about, it's quite hard to think about multidimensional and complex political, um, political uh, action spaces okay, or, or decisions. And what parties do here in this environment is that they take the complex, this is just two dimensions, but it's still more complicated than one, they take the complex multidimensional space and in a sense they reduce the dimensionality of the space because some dimensions are bundled together with others. Okay? So we've created what we may call a left uh, part of the policy space, which is the general pool that wants big government and no special interests. So perhaps they want secular education. Okay? And we created the right uh, party, right-wing party. This is the party of the rich and the special interest group. So they want smaller government, but they want some subsidized, let's say, religious education. Okay? Could have been the other way around. Depends on what's the minority and what's the majority on the population. Okay? We started from two dimensions on what to spend the money, how much money to have. We lumped it into what would may seem as a one-dimensional conflict. Okay? Everyone that wants big government also wants secular education in this example. Everyone that wants small government in the coalition also wants subsidized uh, religious education. Okay? So these issues were bundled together not because truly in their preferences everybody that wants a big government also wants a secular education. This is not true, right? But they were bundled together because of the economic and the political, the economic reasons and the political process. We observed that the people that go together in one party, these are the compromises that they have reached. So it's not necessarily that these dimensions uh, have to be bundled together because this is what people really prefer, but for political reasons, this is how the dimensions were bundled together. So you can think maybe about the BJP in India or the Republican Party in the US, a coalition of fiscally conservative with some special interest that, um, and this is the way uh, we've been thinking about this, okay? So how does it give us an answer to our original question? If we have diversity in society in these two dimensions, we get smaller governments, okay, because the tax rate is smaller. So we have less total redistribution. So if you look at all uh, the provision of goods that the government is supplying, we have less of this when societies are diverse, okay, because the rich can collude with the minority of the poor, okay. If there is no minority of the poor, the rich are not able to do it, okay. The poor would always win if there is no third group. Okay? So diversity implies that the poor do not win. We have small government, less total redistribution. However, redistribution is tilted. Com compared with the situation in which we don't have diversity, 
Distribution here is tilted from the general interest of the public to the special interest of the public. And in a sense, you can say that the outcome in diverse democracies are perhaps closer to the preferences of the rich or elites and these of the special uh, interest group. So these are the predictions of the model. Okay, and now I'm going to take the model to the data and together with Oriana Bandiera at the Economics Department, we were looking at policy outcomes of local governments in Indonesia. Okay? What's good about Indonesia? Many things, but among them is that it's very ethnically diverse. Okay? It's very ethnically diverse. And, and it's also very decentralized. Okay? So local governments, sometimes governments of villages, okay? village could be very big, government of villages um, make a lot of decisions about tax, taxes, local taxes, and how to spend these taxes. Okay? Now, by customary laws, some villages are controlled by the elites, okay? which in my model are the rich, and some villages make decisions democratically, either in community, in community uh, gathering, either by consensus or by majority rule. Okay? So, I have here some variation in the political process. You may say that these villages are non-democratic, okay? And other villages are democratic. But among the democratic villages, I also have some villages who are more ethnically diverse than others, okay? So I have enough variation to do the following. First, from these villages, from these non-democratic villages, I can figure out what actually do the rich want. Okay, I can figure out what do the rich want. They will make decisions that, of course, they like. Okay, I can compare these decisions to democratic decisions, and within democratic decisions, I can compare the ones with more ethnically diverse um, population to the other. So in my model, for example, it was the case that those who are more ethnically diverse, perhaps, will have outcomes that are more similar to those controlled by the elites because the ethnically diverse villages will c cater more to what the rich like, okay? So, how to test the effect of diversity? We examine whether there is a difference between oligarchies or non-democracies and democracies in the provision of public good like number of schools, number of health posts, investments in road, sewage, etc. bus stops. There are many things in the local community that, uh, that you supply, okay? So we can see whether there is, first of all, whether there is an effect for democracy, okay? So if the villages are controlled by the elite versus villages take decisions by community meetings, is there a difference, okay? Is democracy good in some sense? And second, does this difference, the model would tell us that this difference decreases <coughs> Okay, decreases in the level of ethnic diversity in the village. Okay? Because if there is no diversity, there should be the biggest difference between democracy and non-democracy. Non-democracy is the rich, democracy is the poor will win. But once there is ethnic diversity, we are more, moving more towards what the rich like and what the special interest groups like. Okay? And here, is, here are the results. First of all, when I compare homogeneous democracies versus non-democracies, okay? We can see a difference, okay? So first, in terms of health and education provision, there is more health and education provided in democratic villages. For example, schools fees are lower, 
and there is a higher teacher-pupil ratio. Okay? So there is more provision of help and education per capita. There is less security. Okay? In democratic villages, homogeneous democratic villages, there is less neighborhood security provided by uh, the local government. And this is reasonable as well, right? Security is the good that the rich like. Okay? The poor don't need security. Okay? There's nothing to steal from them. And there is no difference in infrastructure. So everybody likes the same amount of sewage pipes, okay? Both the poor and the rich, okay? There is the same access to electricity, piped, warm, piped water, sewage, and waste collection services, okay? So this is what I think when I look at homogeneous democracies versus oligarchies. But if I look at heterogeneous democracies, okay, then I see that there is much lower provision of health and education in heterogeneous democracies uh, versus homogeneous ones. Okay, so for example, the number of health posts per 1,000 inhabitants is 12% higher in homogeneous democracies. There is much higher provision of security in heterogeneous democratic villages than in homogeneous democratic villages. Okay? Again, this goes in the direction of what, what the rich want. There is no effect on infrastructure. So there is no effect between democracy and non-democracy, no effect between homogeneous and heterogeneous um, democracies on the level of infrastructure. Also, heterogeneous societies actually, so they do not only resemble non-democracies in the sense that the policies are closer to what the rich want, want they are also closer to the preferences of the ethnic minorities so the poor ethnic minorities, they know we don't have any data about special goods that the ethnic minorities like, but we have data about income transfers to the ethnic minorities. The poor ethnic minorities are more likely to get transfers, income transfers particularly targeted at them in heterogeneous villages, democratic villages, than in homogeneous ones. Okay? And needless to say, ethnic diversity does not have any effect on non-democratic villages, okay? That's also important to check, okay? That the effect is, arises in democracy and not, it does not arise when the elite control, okay? Okay, so the findings, the findings that do not tell us that the model is right, okay? Um, I haven't, you know, given you any information about all the stuff that I was talking about, the coalition structure and so on, okay? So I'm not testing the model. I, I only tested the predictions of the model. I only tested whether the predictions of the model are consistent with what I observed. So the findings are consistent with the bare bones of the explanation that we had in the sense that it could be the case that the poor are divided, the elite form a coalition with the poor ethnic minority, the coalition chooses policies that give more weight to the preferences of the rich, and hence are closer to oligarchies, and more weight to the ethnic minorities at the expense of the poor majority. Okay? So now my next step, if I can stretch you a bit more, my next step is to say, fine, I've given one particular explanation. Either other social scientists or other economists could have thought about other explanations. Okay? Uh, so the only thing I can do at this point is to take my data and to think whether the findings of the data, the findings from the data, 
could also be consistent with other explanations. Okay, so this data can help us think whether other explanations could give rise to the same uh, findings that we see in this Indonesian PDGs. Uh, okay, so one one possible alternative explanation, right? In general, we've seen that more diverse society, okay, more diverse society are going to have less less public goods. Okay, in general, we've seen that we have less public goods in more diverse societies. So one possible explanation, if you want the racist explanation, people simply don't like others. They don't want others to get anything. Okay, so sort of out of spite, I prefer the government to provide less roads if other people don't, if other people are going to use them as well, other people not for my group, okay? So according to this explanation, the first line over there, according to this explanation, everything in society should be provided at a lower level if you're more diverse, okay? So everything should be provided at a lower level if you're more diverse, if you just act out of spite, let's say. In our data, okay, this is not right. According to this explanation, heterogeneous democratic villages would differ in the provision of all goods, and in particular, all goods would be less provided. In our explanation, this was not the case. Some goods were less provided, like health and um, education. Some goods were provided at a higher level, like security or income transfers to the ethnic minority. Okay, so I can say that. You know, my, my conclusions are limited. I can only say that at least for the Indonesian data, people are not racist, okay? Okay, another possible explanation is that, well, individuals have different preferences, and if I let the government decide about what to do with the money, maybe people who are different from me will make decisions, right? And they will make simply the wrong decisions from my point of view, okay? So I simply prefer a smaller government. If there isn't diversity in society, I want a smaller government because they make decisions on my behalf, but they don't have my preferences, okay? So this explanation as well, similar to the first one, just with nicer people, this explanation would also give us the conclusion that provision of all goods is going to be lowered in diverse societies, and this is not what we observe. Okay, another perhaps more interesting alternative explanation is that you know, individuals are not that bad, but on some goods there are, let's say, complementarities in the production or the consumption. What do I mean? So let's take again the schooling and language example. So if I send my child to a school and um, everyone in the same school speaks a different language then, or has different values, then my child is not getting the best education that I would want. And you can clearly see it in many instances that people prefer less interaction with other groups at school, be it whatever the reason may be. Okay, so in this sense, perhaps you can, you know, you can find ways to justify this sort of behavior by saying that my child is going to learn his own language less, and I prefer to send him to a school where everyone speaks my language. Okay. So on goods, on public goods that you have interaction with other groups in the consumption of this good, okay, like in schools, in goods where it matters, if it's your own group consuming with you or other groups consuming with you, according to this explanation, we should find that 
these goods are going to be in lower provision because people are simply going to enjoy them less when societies are diverse, okay? But it should not affect other goods, okay? So for example, indeed in our sample we find that in diverse societies you have less schooling, okay? So this explanation would also fit that. But we also find that there is less health facilities, okay? This explanation should tell us nothing about you don't consume health uh, you don't consume operations and health services with people from other groups. It's not relevant, right? It's not. Um, so, and we find that there is also less provision of health, and this doesn't fit this explanation, okay? Yes. It doesn't really matter if other people that are not like you are in the same hospital queue, right? Okay, so we can, at least in, in this data, we can reject the other... Um, explanations and say that it could be that the reason why diversity affects provision of public goods could be a combination of economics and politics that economic assumption is that people have different preferences the political assumption is that coalitions are forming and they can give an advantage to elites and special interests on behalf of the general poor okay let me conclude with two more slides by saying the following. So my question was, how does ethnic or religious diversity or other form of diversity, it could be geographical diversity, affect the conflict between the rich and the poor? And the idea that I've uh, suggested to you is that when the poor are divided, it could be the case that the rich collude with the special interest to reduce the size of the government and target some transfers to these particular special interest groups. And I've given you evidence from Indonesia for that matter. Now the last stage when you do this type of research is that you want to think what conclusions can be derived from this. Um, the last thing you want, or maybe not the last, but you don't want to conclude that diverse societies are not good, okay? So on a normative sense, this is not what you want to conclude, so you have to be, you want to be, okay, so I want to think about this more generally a bit, okay, so I want to think about democracies at all and whether they affect pol political outcomes, okay, so I know that the World Bank and other institutions always call for decentralization and democratization, right, it seems a good idea to have democracies around us. And sometimes they condition giving money to countries uh, and help and aid and so on by a democratization process, okay? And the idea that is that you want to give voice to the poor, you want to give voice to as many parts of societies as possible, okay? So the conclusion that I take from what I've done so far, in a more general setup perhaps, is that democracy is going to matter a lot Okay, if you take this project of democratization, democracy is going to matter a lot if you start from a homogeneous society, okay? And in terms of the outcomes, the economic and political outcomes that we're going to see, it's going to have less of an effect, okay, in a heterogeneous society. So perhaps we shouldn't push for them, let's say, as a condition for aid relief, okay? Perhaps we should push for them because it's not going to have that much of a difference in the simple and simplified context that we're looking at. 
when societies are heterogeneous from the start. Okay? So that, that is it. And I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you. Thank you.
Okay, so, so first let's say in terms of access. So my model in a sense allowed access to everyone, okay? And everyone could be a politician and everyone could run for election. Surely this is not the case, okay? So in a sense you can interpret the results as, as let's say a more probabilistic uh, way, right? You can say that perhaps the larger is the size of the ethnic poor minority, Okay, the more likely perhaps they are to field some candidates in the election or to take part in the political process, okay, and then to reach an agreement with the, with, the, with the rich. Or either the larger the size or you can say, you know, again, in my analysis, the poor ethnic minority had exactly the same income as the other poor. You don't need that to be the case, of course. So perhaps, you know, perhaps if they have a bit more income relative to the poor, they are also more likely to be able to take part in the political process and to form a coalition with the rich. For sure I know that with no ethnic diversity or if the ethnic minority are not represented in the political system, then, then we can't have this type of um, give and take game. Uh, what I'm thinking about politicians here, uh, I, you know, if I would have, we should have specified it perhaps a bit more. I'm thinking here as politicians as citizens in the sense that they gain utility from the political outcome as well. If you represent a particular group, it means that you know, these are your preferences, this is what you're enjoying. So if you want to be elected, you want to be elected to implement your policy and not someone else elected, so ideological in that sense, okay? You could think that they also, you know, perhaps they also have some you know, benefits from holding office uh, and so on, but I don't have here re-election in the sense of a competition between an incumbent and a challenger. I'm thinking of a simple environment when there is perhaps not even a status quo. We all stand for election. Okay. And the final question. So Indonesia went through a real, a, a very important uh, decentralization process. Okay. And some data we have before this process and some data we have after this process. So, and and I agree that I don't know if it's perfect in the sense that democracies are perfect here. Um, so um, what I can say, so the way we've, uh, we've coded this, so the survey, the IFLS survey that we took the data from, the survey looks at these villages and people, people answer if de decision making is by the um, elite, um, by a traditional religious uh, authority, which we bundle together with the elite, okay? Uh, or by meeting, village meeting, in which there could be two options, either consensus or majority. I mean, these are the options that people report. So we put the consensus and the majority together and all others uh, on the other side. So surely there is noise, okay? But the fact that, you know, um, I think the find findings in a, in a sense uh, approve this codification, but I'm sure there is noise. And I don't know, you know, this is what people report. I don't know if this is what actually is happening, okay? But in a sense, what I'm doing here, right, I think what you're thinking about is that even if villages say they're democratic, there is some non-democratic capture of what's going on. In a sense, this is what I'm saying. I'm saying there is a, not a non-democratic, but the elite capture. Um, it, and, and I'm specifying the way it is done, okay? So even if, even if you are full... Right? Even if you're really a democracy, there is an elite capture. And it's done through the political process. It's clear from the way you responded to Professor Corbett's comments that you 
particularly given how strong your conclusions were at this point in time. I mean, someone else might have just said, well, okay, I'm going to just lay out what the next research agenda is, given that if this fact turns to be different here or this fact turns to be different there, then we might get a completely different result. Instead, you come up with fairly concrete conclusions. And I assume in other places you probably just laid out a research agenda. How do you personally address this problem? So let me first agree with you. So when I write down a conclusion, you know, perhaps in a more precise seminar, I would say, you know, these conclusions hold under the assumptions. And I need to specify. I haven't specified all the assumptions. I didn't want to get into technical details. But more generally, you know, where do you stop and when do you believe your model conclusions? So I think the way, you know, the way most of us would think about it is that, you know, if I write down a model and a little change in an assumption, either adding a particular, you know, benefits for politicians for holding office, for example, or other changes in the assumption, changes in the political process and so on. If I introduce just a small change and it completely changes the results, okay, qualitatively in terms of the direction of the conclusion, of course, always things will change a bit. But if my sort of general qualitative conclusions change, then I will say that, you know, my model is not robust in some sense. It is too sensitive to the particular assumption and I don't want to. For sure the model is sensitive to the particular assumption. Take one assumption out and replace it by a completely different assumption, things will change, okay? But if I, you know, if I just make a small change in the assumption and the general conclusions hold, then, again, then, you know, then I believe in the conclusions for this, again, particular set of assumptions. But I'm not testing the assumption. So, right, I mean, what is a model? Are the assumptions important or are the conclusions important, right? I'm not going to test the assumption. I'm not looking at these villages to see if there are really coalitions between the rich and the poor. And I think, you know, these are less important. I'm testing the conclusions and I'm giving us a way to think about these issues. I think the strategic reasoning of who goes with who, this in a sense is probably the benefit of this type of modeling and it's not the set of assumptions themselves that I believe in. I don't believe in any of these assumptions or in this collection because there's no case in the world in which all of these would be true, for sure. At this point, ladies and gentlemen, 